You're listening to 20,000 Hertz, the stories behind the world's most recognizable and interesting sounds. I'm Dallas Taylor. What you're hearing right now are brain waves, sort of. This is from an EEG machine. An EEG machine is used to record the electrical activity of the brain. Plug that data into a synthesizer and you get something like what you're hearing. It's not exactly pretty. Actually, it's kind of spooky. But what did you expect to hear inside someone's head? Well, if the head we're talking about is Brant Guichard's, the answer would be music. Recently, Joel Werner, the host of the podcast Sum of All Parts, talked to Brant to find out exactly what's going on inside his head. I'll let Joel explain. Brant Guichard has heard the music for as long as he can remember. The earliest memory I have was sitting on a bed in my room and enjoying a run of music as it went by me, waving my hands as it just run through. And I didn't recognize it for what it was at the time. I listened to it, it finished, and I asked my friend, who was sitting next to me, watching the television of Healing Board, since we had absolutely nothing to do, and I asked him, did you hear that? And he said, what? I asked him, music. And he said, what music? It made me realise I, I was the only one who was hearing that. Nobody else was hearing this. This was all mine. That was Brandt's first encounter with what he calls the music. And in the 30 years since, it's something that he's heard multiple times every day. The music starts by warping the sounds and things I hear then it adds its own rhythm and starts becoming stronger within my head. The pattern is never the same. It is never the same. It is always unique every time. A collection of repetitive noises together, warping together the noises around me into a rhythm, often taking any song I've heard and putting that into the mix, anything I reach for in my memory, that will be placed into the mix as well. All the sounds, even speaking, is part of the music. It's why I become absolutely still sometimes. It's because I don't want to make noise myself. I stop any noise I'm hearing if I can, and I stop moving myself because that has the best chance of slowing it down a little bit. It's partially in my control in that I reach and try to control where it goes. It's like sitting in a car without having any brakes and having the accelerator tied down, but you've got the hands on the steering wheel. 
You can control where it goes, but you can't stop it. Then I start developing a partial seizure, having part of my body losing control. And after this, I will develop into a full seizure, but I will stay fully conscious at this point, although it will not look like I am. I will be on the ground with a grand mal, as most people think epilepsy is. But after this point, it will continue developing. And past that point, I will lose consciousness. Brandt has epilepsy. And it's a particular type of epilepsy where he hears what are called musical auras. So when Brandt has that music that he hears, that's actually the beginning of a seizure. It's a small seizure, as he told you. But if it doesn't progress to involve more of his brain, he remains aware. And there's nothing to see. Only Brandt can tell us about it. Professor Ingrid Schaeffer is Brandt's neurologist and a world-leading epilepsy researcher. We don't really understand why one seizure progresses and another doesn't, except that we do know that almost everyone with epilepsy is more likely to have seizures if they're tired or stressed. And so you might have some auras, but then they might progress if you're more tired or stressed. Or sometimes people will build up. They'll have a run of auras, which sort of heralds the fact that they're going to go into the bigger seizure. There are a few different types of epilepsy that are related to sound like musicogenic epilepsy, where music may trigger a seizure, or reflex epilepsy, where, say, a very loud noise may trigger a seizure. As a young lady I look after who, if there's a loud noise as she's walking along the street, will suddenly have a tonic seizure and fall to the ground. So she actually has to wear headphones all the time to try and dull down the sounds around her so she doesn't get a surprise. But musical auras, like Brandt experiences, are unusual. Like, really unusual. Gosh, I think I have seen one or two, but it's rare. I see lots and lots of people with focal epilepsy, and many have auras, but hearing music is rare. Do you remember when, when you first met Brandt? Can you sort of take us back to that moment? Yes, I can remember when I met Brandt. He was 18 years old at the time, and he came along with his father, and he told me the story of his epilepsy. His epilepsy had begun quite early in life with some convulsive seizures as an infant and these had occurred every year or so. And then from about the age of eight, he developed awake seizures and these would be preceded by an aura. Brandt described an aura of music where he experienced what he called twisted sounds and these were initially pleasant but by the time he was 11 years old, a couple of years later, the sounds hurt and he was scared. Strangely enough, when I was very young, it felt good to me. It was very enjoyable and it was something I liked a lot. I was one of those people that at puberty, my epilepsy developed quite intensely. I started having proper fits and at this point what I call the, the music that started to become something I had perhaps five to twenty times a day and became extremely intense and started to scare me. I don't understand why but 
the auras, they became very strong and brought on fear to me at that point. Absolute intense fear. That left me a few years later. The fear was not there anymore. And I don't know why that fear occurred at that point. Coming up, we'll meet the data visualization artist who took Brant's seizures and did something kind of beautiful with them. That's after the break. Why should you learn another language with Babbel? Well, there are a ton of reasons, but let's see how many I can fit into 60 seconds. First, Babbel works fast. You can start having conversations in another language in as little as three weeks. Next, it makes overseas vacations more fun and less stressful. I used it all the time on my last trip to Italy. If you work with foreign collaborators, Babbel can help you deepen those relationships. It's a fun thing to do when you need a break, and it's way better than doom scrolling. Babbel teaches you about other cultures. Speaking for myself, learning something new just makes me feel good. It's very affordable. And finally, signing up for Babbel helps support 20,000 Hertz. Okay, make that eight reasons, or otto ragioni, as they'd say in Italian. To get started on a new language today, here's a special limited time deal for 20,000 Hertz listeners. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription right now at babbel.com slash 20k. This offer is only available for our listeners. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 20k for 55% off. Babbel.com slash 20k. Rules and restrictions may apply. NetSuite has simple solutions for complicated business problems. For example, let's say you open a bakery. Before long, your hotcakes are selling like, well, hotcakes. But you keep running out of ingredients. No problem, because not only can NetSuite automate your purchasing so you're never out of stock, but it can also check that your staff have the right training to make those hotcakes to perfection. Mm. NetSuite can even handle online orders so your hotcakes can really take off. Having one system handling all of this saves both time and money. And if there's two things we all want more of, it's time and money. Okay, so three things if you include hotcakes. That's probably why more than 37,000 businesses have already signed up for NetSuite by Oracle. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash 20k now to take advantage of this offer. That's netsuite.com slash 20k. netsuite.com slash 20k. Brant Guichard has been hearing music in his head for 30 years. And, in a way, for the past 10 minutes, you've been hearing it too. The music that you've heard so far in this episode, that music is intrinsically connected to Brant's epilepsy. In fact, it is Brant's epilepsy. Uh, My name is Brian Fu. I'm a data visualization artist at the Museum of Natural History in New York City. By day, Brian works on data visualisation for the museum. But by night, he's the data-driven DJ. So the data-driven DJ project, it's kind of an experimentation on different ways of uh, expressing data as music. Part science and part art form, this is data sonification, the process of representing numbers in sound. So a lot of that is thinking about what are the strengths of music or what are the strengths of sound as compared to you know, more visual media like charts or graphs. 
So it's kind of using the fact that music is more felt and, you know, you can kind of perceive things like change and time more intuitively. The clicking of a Geiger counter, where faster clicks indicate higher radiation levels, this is one of the earliest and most practical examples of data sonification. Brian's work, on the other hand, is much more song-like. Initially, I was very interested in learning how to make music. You know, I had a particular skill set, which was computer science, and I wanted to figure out a way in which I can learn music and so, you know, I did some research into data sonification and, you know, I wasn't very kind of satisfied with the current state of data sonification. I think a lot of times it's almost like listening to a chart, you know. So the question I always had is like, why make it into sound if it's already fine as a chart? So I kind of used that as the, the challenge for this project to make kind of meaningful data music, essentially. So Brian's take on songwriting is a process called algorithmic composition. He comes up with a bunch of rules or algorithms that tell the music what to do in response to a change in the data. And the guiding principle of this approach is something Brian calls uncreative creativity. Yeah, so when I say uncreative creativity, when you think about like the traditional creativity, it's that artist who's just like staring at a canvas and, you know, kind of having like a direct translation of my emotions or thoughts into the medium. But because my medium is code, when I press play, that's essentially the first time I'm hearing the music, I'm hearing the song. Usually the data set is so complex and the algorithm and the rules, there's so many of them, there's so many different variables that it's really hard for my brain to kind of generate that. And that's kind of mostly because I didn't really have a, a music background. It was hard for me to imagine what the music would sound like when I kind of apply this algorithm to the data to generate this song. So yeah, it's almost like I'm just designing the rules in which this song plays out, um, which is not a traditional way you would think about creativity. But that is where the creative act is, is designing those rules. And it's designing how you map the data to sound. But mapping the data to sound isn't something that happens quickly or easily. It's very much an iterative approach where I have to constantly tweak the algorithm because usually the first time it just sounds like garbage. It sounds awful. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I think that's a struggle between kind of this creative aspect as well as the data science aspect because if you want to stay true to the data, you can't really like massage what the song sounds like. If there's a particular part of the song that I don't like, I can't change that one part of the song because, you know, that would probably mean I had to change one part of the data. Usually when I tweak one little thing, it completely changes the whole song. So it's really tricky. So it is just through brute force of throwing things together and constantly just changing, you know, variables until it sounds good. And as long as it retains that kind of faithfulness to the data, you know, you don't want to make the song sound good at the expense of not being faithful to the data. And so we gave Brian some of Brant's EEG data, brain recordings of Brant having a seizure, an encounter with the music. And Brian turned that data into a song. And again, like this is not a research project, this is a creative project. So, you know, I wouldn't take what I'm saying as like uh, actual scientific <laughs> uh, research. An EEG, or an electroencephalogram, is a measure of the brain's electrical activity. 
It's a really common research technique in neuroscience where it's used to measure anything from a person's sleep behaviour to what's going on in their brain during a seizure. They put you in a bed, they put little dots on your head and they say, feel comfortable, then they walk off on you. Then they take the drugs off you. And for most epileptics, the drugs they take will make them quite drowsy, so they can't sleep either. And I'm sitting in there with the wax electrodes on my head and I'm thinking, yep, they're waiting for the fits, so I'm going to be stuck here. And I was. Brant's fit eventually came. And it's the data recorded by those electrodes on his scalp that Brian transformed into the music you've been hearing throughout this episode. The way Brian composed this song, or the algorithm that he wrote composed this song, draws on three elements of the EEG data. The amplitude, or the height of the brain waves, which is a measure of how active the brain is. The frequency, or the number of brain waves that occur in a given amount of time. This is a measure of how alert the person is. And the synchrony, or the relative activity, of different parts of the brain. And then he just maps changes in these three variables to changes in the sound. Amplitude very conveniently evokes this idea of is the music louder or softer? So obviously higher amplitude, the louder the instrumentation. Frequency also has a good corollary to music. So high frequency, the instruments are playing at a higher pitch and lower frequency at a lower pitch. Synchrony I use to control the percussion in the music. So high synchrony, the more drums are playing at a synchronous pattern. As well as mapping to loudness, amplitude controls the vocals in the song as well. So the higher the amplitude, the more vocals are playing. The different parts of the brain have different kind of vocals associated with it. So if all parts of the brain are firing very loudly, there's going to be many vocals singing very loudly at the same time. Vocals are a key part of this composition. They're the dominant feature of the song. And to generate them, Brian sampled the Imogen Heap song, Hide and Seek. Yeah, so I very deliberately used the Imogen Heap song for a few reasons. One, it's completely vocal. Part of the way in which I try to compose these songs is think about what the listener should be experiencing in relation to this data set. You know, this data set represents a human being, another individual, also a very, like, you know, intimate data set, right? Like, it's their actual brain activity. Is it possible to produce, like, empathy between a listener and the subject? So I want to use a vocal element of the song because it is a human subject. Another little trick that I did, or another concept that I tried to leverage was in psychology, or I don't know what field of study this is, but there's something called phantom words, where you kind of stitch a bunch of, like, you know, random syllables together. People will hear words, regardless of whether you're kind of giving them those actual words. So I kind of chopped up that song into syllables, and the algorithm kind of stitches it together in, in various different ways, but it plays a little mental trick on people where people will be hearing different words, and different people will probably hear different words. So again, it's trying to create an experience that's very personal and kind of unique to the individual. And it even lets the listener's brain do some work. So again, it's trying to connect the 
the listener's brain to the subject's brain. By sampling a well-known song, Brian also plays into Brandt's experience of the musical aura, where songs he hears or even thinks about during the seizure are warped, twisted and incorporated into the music. In addition to the vocals, Brian sampled strings from the Philharmonia Sound Sample Library and percussion from the American experimental rock band Swans. And then he just let the algorithm do its thing. I'll play the song in full at the end of this episode, but first, what does Brandt think of this song that was composed using his seizure data? That's it. (laughs) So what do you Mm. think? First impressions? It reminds me of the graph, actually. I've seen plenty of them. They always show it to me after they make them. Well, at least I can say to other people, I sound interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I try to think about the data set not as this series of zeros and ones. Like It is a representation of, you know, an actual human being with real experiences. And, you know, I think the medium of music is very unique in the sense that it will evoke a visceral response. And my goal with this particular project is to think about what should that response be as it relates to this particular data set. So... I think that's where a lot of my kind of creative energy goes, is thinking about how to match what I believe this data set is about and how the listener should kind of experience it in this very visceral way because, you know, music makes you feel something. And that's what I really like about music as compared to, say, like a chart or like a graph, which I don't remember the last time I was moved by looking at a line chart, but um, (laughs) it's a good match. I think it's the right medium for human data, a medium that has this very primal, visceral quality to it. Twenty Thousand Hertz is produced out of the studios of DeFacto Sound, a sound design team dedicated to making television, film, and games sound incredible. Watch and listen to the latest work at defactosound.com. While you're there, be sure to reach out. Some of All Parts is produced by me, Joel Werner. Sophie Townsend is story editor. Jonathan Webb is science editor. And the sound design is by me and Mark Don. I highly recommend subscribing to Some of All Parts. It's a podcast that tells extraordinary stories from the world of numbers. To hear more stories like this, search Some of All Parts in your favorite podcast player. Additional help in this episode comes from Mike Nagel and Sam Sneebly. It was mixed by Nick Spradlin. Also, thanks to Luciana Hale for letting us play the sonification data at the beginning of the episode. You can find more of her work at lucianahale.co.uk. That's lucianahale, H-A-I-L-L, .co.uk. And learn more about our show, 20,000 Hertz, at our website, 20k.org. There, you can find links to the things we've talked about in each episode. You can stream our archives, send us story tips, donate to the show, and even buy stuff. The stickers are sticky and the t-shirts are soft. Also, follow us on Twitter or Facebook by using our handle 20korg or by searching the name of our show, 20,000 Hertz, all spelled out. Okay, I think that's everything. Thanks for listening. Did you notice I had a fit during that interview? I totally had no idea. Um, what, what happened? It was generally a three to four second lapse. And what's it like for you? Like, what's, what's the experience? That one wasn't a heavy aura. It was just a white noise one. Those ones 
generally don't have enough time to give me a strong ry rhythm. So they're there, I notice they're there, and then they're gone. And now in full, the data sonification of Brant's seizure data by the data-driven DJ, Brian Fu.